You are now tuned in to Westworld FM, a podcast about HBO's Westworld. My name is Alex. And my name is Nick. Today we will be discussing Season 3, Episode 3 of the show titled The Absence of Field. While we will not be discussing the next time on preview at the end of the episode, we will be spoiling everything through Season 3, Episode 3 of the series. So please pause and go catch up if you're not current on the show. You can find more episodes of our podcast at Westworld.fm. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can send feedback to WestworldFM at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. We did hear from listener Mark on Twitter. Mark, we're glad that you're back with us for season three. Love to hear from more of you standbys if you're out there with us. Um but love yeah, you, Mark. Always, yeah. Always good to hear from from people, and uh, we'd love to hear whatever you have to say. Uh, if you enjoy this show or any other show on the Midwest Podcast Network, please consider heading over to mpn.bz slash Patreon and pledge as little as a dollar a month to make our network even better. Special thanks to Jason K. and Gojo, who have pledged at the level of $10 per month. Oh, Nick, how you doing? How you holding up? I'm doing all right. Thanks. I have Good. the the bright shining future of Westworld to keep me going. Yes. Um, but yeah, I mean you know this it's a weird phenomenon everything that's going on right now with COVID and the quarantine. Um you know, I I think that I I at least know I'm pretty fortunate in my current circumstances, so it's hard anytime I start to get a little bit even the littlest bit down about it all. Mm-hmm. I, I have to just be like, you know what? I don't I really don't have it bad. So I'm trying to keep that perspective because there's a lot of people that have it far worse that aren't getting as upset. And there's a lot of other people that have it pretty good that are all getting very upset. And I just <laughs> I just see that, you know, by from a distance on like social media and stuff, and I'm like, you know, that's a good reminder to not be that guy. To like yeah. remember that, you know, things are things are going okay and um there's just, a, I think, you know, some of that anxiety that comes with having a relatively new baby on your hands. You kind of are, your your threat level for everything is elevated. So yeah. all of this going on lends a certain amount of uncertainty to well, just about everything. Yeah. And on top of, yeah, you're like doubling your uncertainty because we're currently in a place where mostly nobody knows exactly what the next couple of weeks or months are going to look like. So, right. As long as you keep a level head about it, everything's going okay, and you know everybody's fairly healthy, and and the people who aren't healthy are getting the help they need. That's all you can really ask for at this point, right? Yeah, I think that's that's the big thing to remember is like just count your blessings. Remember the the things that are going well and the things that you have, and uh, you know we're just all taking it a day or a week at a time at this point. Yeah, uh, it is definitely it's weird. I mean, like our our friend and fellow co-host and fellow podcaster tim put it really well in our group text the other day he just out of the blue just said these are such strange times and <laughs> it really <laughs> cracked me up because i mean it came out of nowhere which is funny but it's it's 100 true like it's just just weird yeah just weird times yeah. absolutely well at least we have the cheery world of westworld yeah to, i know to it's, bring a, us- it's a great show to be podcasting <laughs> Yeah, if we, absolutely. If we were doing Alienist right now, it'd be so much more fun <laughs> and like silly. Yeah, I mean we're having absolutely. a good time with it. But how no, are you? Doing? I think how are you? I'm doing. Up? I'm doing fine. You know, things are fine here. Honestly, like it scares me how little this has affected my life. Mm. <laughs> maybe, maybe one thing. But like, like you said, I also feel quite fortunate, and that's you know, good. People are mostly doing all right, and and 
we're figuring it out as we go. So, you know, it's all you can ask for. Yep. We've got plenty of food and all the staples to keep us going. So I think that's the most important part. Absolutely. The scary thing is, actually, I will take a second to talk about this. Okay. Because it's not related to the show. But in a way, yeah, it kind of is just because (laughs) the... the, We've all been knocked off of our loops. The selfishness and, and bizarre behavior people choose to engage in. Uh, this guy I used to work with was posting on Facebook about, he's literally right now, maybe like he's back now, but he was on a road trip with his girlfriend like Mm. this week and had driven out to like the East coast. And some, one of our other friends on called him out on it on Facebook is basically like, dude, what are you doing? Why are you? And like, but like, it was very aggressive. It was a very aggressive call out. And I was like, I kind of, I agree though, like a hundred percent, like, what are you doing? Like you're you're from a state where they issue a stay at home order an executive order. And they're literally handing out these like several hundred dollar tickets, misdemeanors to people for leaving the house. Uh, like my dad was telling me there was a deputy outside of a home Depot somewhere locally issuing tickets to people that were there picking up non-essentials. Wow. And I was like, yeah, it's, it's about yeah. that serious. I mean, it doesn't take much, you know, if you, if you do some research into the, the infection rate and the, 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 the rate at which you can spread it, it's so much exponentially so much more than like even just the flu mm-hmm. that it's crazy. It doesn't take much to just, just a brush encounter can pass it off to somebody and then they pass it on and it's just, it's how it goes. So anyway, I get having to leave the house obviously for your, the things you need. You don't need to take a, a road trip to four or five States away right now. Yeah. It's crazy. Well, also I mean, people are canceling, various... people are canceling weddings and yeah. honeymoons and, and can't go to funerals and stuff like, you can wait on your road trip, dude. It's crazy. <laughs> it's crazy. Yeah, especially like I mean, how many of those states also had various states of lockdown and and Ex- exactly closed? and like yeah. where what are you going to go and do and see if you can't like I don't yeah. know like well what's they the were point? well and furthermore they were to that point they were saying that um, New York especially is such a hot spot right now that in other states like especially near the South like Florida and Georgia and um, Tennessee and stuff, police were watching for cars with New York plates and they were Mm. pulling them over and like issuing them tickets and stuff if they were traveling like outside of New York state. Wow. Yeah. Because like you shouldn't leave. Like, so if if you have a Michigan plate and you're in New York or New Jersey or Massachusetts or whatever, I wouldn't be surprised if you get pulled over and a cop issues you something and says, what are you doing here? Well, and I even saw people passing infographics around on Facebook of, you know, if you're if you're a longtime listener to our TV recap podcast, we've talked about the concept of going up north in Michigan. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people that are mentioning if you're not from above the 45th parallel, you shouldn't go up there because no. you're down in a place where the infection rate's high. You could be the one that brings it up there. Exactly. You know. Yeah. So I know, and like, it's crazy. It's just crazy. Yeah. Well, you know. Hopefully, we'll see the other side of this soon. <laughs> right. Yeah, I know. Who knows? But, it's uh, going to be a weird... I did not expect this year to be this weird. <laughs> <laughs> no, me yeah. Anyway, yeah. at least we're, yeah. at least we've both been married by now. And uh, N- Nicole, the- Nicole has mentioned several times, she's like, I am so glad that we got married in 2019. <laughs> yeah, seriously. Yeah. I, I was of the mind of like, well, you know, if we waited to 2020, we could you know build up more money do whatever we're gonna do blah 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 blah. and ultimately it wasn't like a concern or anything it was just like options of like 
Yeah, yeah, of course. You know, how everything was going to fall out. And she's just like, I'm so glad we didn't have to wait. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, it's probably the right choice. I know, but. it's weird. Like, I keep thinking about your brother and uh, and his wife. Mm-hmm. Baby coming a couple months out. And that's, you know, I'm glad yeah. our baby was born last year. And, uh, you know, I mean, like, she was, we were supposed to have her baptism this past Sunday. And mm. we obviously couldn't do that. And yeah. that was, like, kind of a giant bummer. Like, Sunday kind of came and we were kind of, like, hanging out at the house and, kind of sad for a minute just kind of thinking like we have to postpone this and she's only getting older and mm-hmm. um, you know just the the good thing is when we do finally get to do it it'll really be like a celebration because everybody will be there and it'll be i mean we could still do it but it'd have to be like three people there or like whatever yeah. and you yeah know, te- technically there would be a way but it just wouldn't be the same so but that was kind of sad you know i initially i kind of thought well it's no big deal We'll, we'll just postpone it. And then the, the day came and went, and I was kind of like, man, that is uh, that is actually kind of a giant bummer. <laughs> yeah. So, oh, well. Yeah. Like I said, but, it's a small it's a small thing compared to what a yeah. lot of other people have to deal with. But sometimes the small things have a way of catching, catching you off guard. Absolutely. For sure. Well, anyway. I hope everybody's safe out there. But uh, hopefully we can talk about some Westworld, get your minds off of it for at least a little <clears> while. Yes, or if your minds are on it and you have an interesting story about what's going on, please write in. Like, I, I asked the guys on our Discord, I said, is anyone, this was uh, probably two weeks ago when uh, the, the mayor of L.A. issued the stay-at-home order. And I asked, mm-hmm. is anybody, any of our listeners, are they in L.A. because, uh, or any of our Discord people, they're in yeah. L.A. Because I was curious what the reaction was like there. And then sure enough, uh, probably a week later, it followed here in Michigan, and I think it's mm-hmm. pretty much everywhere now. But yeah, I'm I'm really curious to see how it's going in other states because it's uh it's interesting around here. There's a lot yeah. of people walking. I see more I've seen more people outdoors in the past few weeks than I ever have in our neighborhood in the in the four years that we've lived here. <laughs> Which is I've gone that, for that more walks. Cool. Yeah, I've gone for more walks in the past week or two than I than I have in most of my life. So <clears throat> I was joking with my wife. I said I'm really glad that now it is not unusual for me to be on on the sidewalk and when I see somebody coming, I can cross over to the other side and I'm not a weirdo. <laughs> yeah, yeah, people are thankful for it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's pretty good. Yeah. We have this funny game of like uh pretend chicken going on because we're always pushing a stroller and when we round a corner if there's somebody on the same side as us, I'm like, "Oh, they'll back down." Baby, baby supersedes everything, and sure enough, yeah. everybody go. Everybody else crosses, whether they have a dog or they're by themselves or in a group. Have you of, met another family. baby yet? Is the question. No, that's, we've that's... seen lots of other couples with babies, but they're always on the other side of the street, and we we just okay. kind of they're already there. And we always just kind of acknowledge each other, but yeah, yeah, that'll be an interesting game. You'll to have see to who, update who us down. if it. Yeah, what, what what happened? Which baby takes the lead? Yeah. It'll be like it's going to happen to you. You're going to round the corner. There's going to be t- like twins in one thing, and be like, all right, well, okay. All right. I guess that means we're going. That's like something out of the naked gun. There'd be like an intersection and like eight <laughs> eight parents with babies on each side of the sidewalk coming from all four directions. <laughs> it's just one more kid each time. Yes, exactly. Just Absolutely. escalating. Beautiful. All right. Let's get into some Westworld. All right. Might as well. Uh... This one was called The Absence of Fields, which is taken from a poem by a guy whose name I didn't look up, uh, but it seemed pretty interesting. The Absence of Field. <laughs> I should have done a better job of this. You know, um, we're all just taking it a day and a week at a time. <laughs> oh, man. Joanna Robinson had it on her thing. Poem. Okay, so this is a this is a poem by Mark Strand called Keeping Things Whole. 
In a field, I am the absence of field. This is always the case wherever I am, I am what is missing. When I walk, I part the air and ways, and always the air moves to fill the spaces where my body's been. We all have reasons for moving. I move to keep things whole. Uh, so yeah, in the field, I am the absence of field. So it's very, um, very fish out of watery, I think is kind of the, the sense it's hosts in the real world or people in simulations or things of that nature. And I, and I think, uh, clearly it plays at the theme. So once again, a nice title from, from, uh, from the Westworld folks, but yeah, in general, with most shows I watch, I'm always curious where the titles come from. And with this show, it's way more than any other show. I'm always I'm always act- actively writing down the name of the episode. With other other shows, like in my notes, I wouldn't necessarily log yeah. in because I'd be like, whatever, it's episode four or whatever. But with this show, I'm like, I got to know what it is. And at the end of the episode, I got to come back and kind of think about it. Yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> um, so we open on human Charlotte Hale in the park just after Ford shot himself. She uses a host to record a message for someone named Nathan. Cut to a host being printed. Dolores has created a host version of Charlotte Hale and has put one of the pearls she took from the park into the host body. We don't know who it is, and the host can barely remember who it is. It seems unhappy that it needs to pretend to be Charlotte Hale, but Dolores needs Charlotte to take control of Delos so there can be more hosts created. Dolores implores Charlotte to leave before she is missed. She must head home to Charlotte's home. Um, It's interesting. I feel like these episodes have kind of... At least two and three have been very character focused. Two was very Maeve. There was some Bernard in there, um, but two two was a lot of Maeve, and uh, I guess even one was a lot of Caleb, and three seems to be a lot of Charlotte. So yeah, um, I did notice that as well. Yeah, we're kind of dialing in on a few, if not one or two, characters yeah. per episode, which I coming off of the. I mean, when you compare it to the first season, it's definitely pretty different but i kind of like it at this stage in the game it's an interesting mm-hmm. thing to spend more time with fewer characters later into a show's run but i actually really like it yeah and it well what's weird to me is like we this is an eight episode season we are now 40 percent of the way through that season and it feels like we're spending a lot of time with these particular people in these episodes and I think I commented last episode, I wonder when Maeve and Dolores are going to intersect and will that become the rest of the season or something like that? Will they will they be together? You know, obviously we'll always be shifting between different perspective and perspectives and different people, but um, it just seems interesting to me that like each of these is a character piece and uh, kind of a character piece or at least mostly a character piece or take the theme of a particular character and you know, to kind of see how that's going to play out for the rest of the season. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. It, I feel like there's an, there is a lot of track being laid stuff Mm -hmm. that we are aware of and stuff that we're not necessarily aware of the importance of. And I think enough of it is being done that when, when things do kind of cinch up, it's going to happen really suddenly. And we're going to be like, Oh, (laughs) and really, really feel like a lot more has happened than, currently feels has happened if that makes any I think sense that, i think that was part of my issue with with the first episode was i was waiting for that moment and, mm. and it, it's been delayed you know clearly they're taking more time to do it which is not a bad thing necessarily but right um it's part of what i thought was missing from there and to think that we'll get to one big moment like that could be pretty interesting so i'll have to see what that happens but um 
so yeah we knew that dolores had inhabited charlotte in season two um i think a lot of the promotional materials have kind of suggested that charlotte is still running around it makes a lot of sense that she's out there the whole idea that charlotte is the one who will help dolores get control of delos makes a lot of sense but um you know is there any i guess here's the thing everybody's out there asking who's in charlotte's body is there any part of you that thinks the 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 yes. makers of the show want you to not focus on that question at all? Oh man, that's a good question. No, like, to me, I don't know. I think they're I think that they're probably <laughs> watching all the all the Twitter feeds and the Reddit and just kind of laughing at a lot of the suggestions. I'm sure they they've been doing that doing. all along. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think they know that's part of the fun of a that's show fair. like this. That's fair. They, prob- necessarily- they, they probably would say you shouldn't worry about it yet. You shouldn't be worrying about that right now. Yeah. But they know that it's, you know, that that is kind of, <laughs> it's so dumb because there are so many bigger, more important questions and mysteries going on. And yet that's the one that like was at the forefront of my brain. And right away I wanted to go into the subreddit and be like, man, well, who does everybody think it is? <laughs> so dumb. <laughs> yeah. No, I yeah, I mean it's it's certainly an intriguing mystery. And because, because it, we know it kind of it kind of it kind of doesn't matter, but it also at the same time really does matter because depending on who it is, I think Dolores seems really confident that it's somebody she knows that knows her really well, somebody that she trusts like explicitly. Yet you know, a lot of these characters are making decisions that are really different than what they were doing in the years the two seasons past so i feel like there's a chance that whoever this character is might either act out of turn or be influenced by whatever remnant of charlotte is still rattling around in there because it seems kind of like that is the case but we could talk about that more yeah it's just interesting that dolores seems confident that whoever is in there is incapable of acting outside of what dolores wants them to do Mm -hmm. but by the end of this but by the end of this episode i'm not convinced that that's the case yeah 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 we'll get there for sure um and we get a little bit of a glimpse of the pearls on the table she's got four pearls still one of them being in charlotte we assume one of them is in connell's you know at this point and or at at the at the most uh recent point in time that we see in these episodes but i assume one of them is in connell's we don't know who that is either you mean wait martin is that his name martin connell's okay 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 gotcha um and then we also see that one of the four that she has is kind of a red and gray i don't know if you remember in season two the red pearls were the ones going into james delos's head yeah that's bernard's isn't it so yeah that one is bernard but she also mentions that she's made him in season two she mentioned that she had kind of made him and reinstalled the parts of arnold that she knew right that ford had tried to exclude from bernard right Mm-hmm. so the fact that his pearl is kind of two-tone like that i thought was a pretty interesting touch yeah um but yeah yeah so there's still at least three other pearls out there we don't know what they're doing if they're doing anything yet but it'll be interesting to see um yeah i hadn't thought about that i wonder if they've already been installed or if she's saving them waiting for a key player to reveal themselves because presumably she didn't know even know who connell's was yet necessarily like I wonder if yeah. she if she's kind of rolling these out as the right opportunity presents itself, or if there are if by 
by now, so to speak, like when she and Caleb are talking, if they mm-hmm. if they're all installed and out there and waiting. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard to say. I think. Uh, well, and also, we know from last episode that Bernard knew she was reading Liam's book in inside the 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 forge. Right. So presumably she she might know she might know who she, like maybe she selected her key players there is mm. my question but who knows that's true so all right uh next up host charlotte has made it back to dallas hq in san francisco where she receives a briefing on 300 riot control voltron robots that were going to be purchased by the saudis prior to the incident in the park but they've since backed down Charlotte's right-hand woman briefs her on the fact that hundreds of random corporations have been buying Delos stock in microtransactions over several years, and as of today, they collectively own 38% of the company and will prevent any bid to go private. Charlotte draws blood on her own arm, alarming her right-hand woman, and tells her to find out who is behind this hostile takeover. Is this Chekhov's Voltron? Probably. Yeah, that robot's going to destroy somebody in episode 7 or 8, Somebody's... (laughs) probably yeah Yeah. uh one Um, one thing i forgot to mention in my notes from just the previous scene just for clarification's sake for myself and anybody who didn't necessarily think about it uh the so the scene where the pearl is installed into charlotte's body this takes place prior to the final scene of season two where bernard wakes up under dolores's not control but uh re after reassembly And yeah. we, we see Charlotte Hale on the other side of the glass, and she leaves with Dolores. That so that is this Charlotte. I think so. Okay, I, I think, think so it too. has to be. Yeah, it seemed like there was a. They they've been doing this thing like kind of skipping stones into back into like real time or wherever we've been, um, and we get that glimpse of what human Charlotte did in the park, and then there's the glimpse of the creation of the Charlotte host. So yeah, I I think I think it's kind of them finagling their way back into when these things happen just to kind of give a little more context for where this character's coming from right right okay so cool um yeah so uh the idea of a hostile takeover makes a whole lot of sense i don't necessarily feel like that came out of nowhere but Serac no i think to take i think control. those exact words came out of one of our mouths in the last episode or two that Serac is planning some sort of hostile takeover yeah so um, but yeah, I don't know the, so her right hand woman's name later on gets revealed to be Irene. And I did write that in, in one of my little summaries that I made, but I, I like that character. It's just this, she, she seems like she doesn't take any shit and yeah. that's nice, you know? Um, but yeah, I'm so intrigued by, I mean, we're all obviously really preoccupied with the mystery of who is in Charlotte Hale's body, but I'm even more intrigued because watching them uh, navigate the politics of everything that's going on is a, is a big job. It's interesting that the host uh, abilities let them step into a role. So, so cleanly and effortlessly, like what Dolores has them doing is a huge job, right? I mean, not only do you have to pretend to be somebody else, but that somebody has a huge responsibility and the stuff they have to do is, is crazy. And that's where I wish they would be a little bit more transparent of like, did Dolores 
insert information from Charlotte Hale's book that was in the forge into this host's mind? Has she shared that with them somehow? Like, it, and on top of that, it feels like this person playing as Charlotte takes a lot of pretty big missteps in this episode, but nobody really treats them that way other than her, like, ex-husband or whoever that guy is. Yeah. So it's kind of interesting to me that, like, she's able to recover from a lot of these missteps, but it's, I feel like she would have known a lot of these things. Like, man, you would have known that Charlotte had a son, right? Like, that's probably, there's public records of that somewhere, probably, I would guess. Mm -hmm. Who knows in that world, but... So there's a little bit of wishy-washiness there that I don't necessarily know that I love, but you know, it's, yeah, it is interesting to see them try and step into that. And also like, um, watching Charlotte's interaction with the world, especially as she's grappling with the fact that like, she's trying to be Charlotte and not be whoever it actually is, whoever it is, who knows, Teddy, hopefully, who knows, (laughs) but, um, yeah, it's it's just it's an interesting performance. It's one where it feels like I feel like a lot of people could look at it and kind of be like, "Well, it's kind of boring. Who knows what she's really doing in there?" But I also kind of think like Tessa Thompson does a good job of like portraying the uncertainty of that situation throughout this entire episode. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. I think I was a big critic of hers in the in seasons one and two, and I think she's yeah. amazing in this episode. Like yeah. they, I. It makes me want to go back. I mean, I do want to go back and rewatch the previous two seasons for a lot of reasons, but I think I would really look at her performance differently now and think this must just be how they wanted her to play Charlotte Hale, just very kind of flat and one note and well, a little she's dull. had she's in a way she's had the most heavy lifting because this is something that Joanna Robinson has brought up on her podcast. But the idea in season two that there, half of the time that you see Charlotte Hale, she's actually doing an, a uh uh, a version of Dolores being Charlotte Hale <clears throat> is something that you were unaware of for most of the season. And therefore you don't get to look and see and notice the choices that she makes right? and how she changes her performance. Right. Mm-hmm. And so like she's doing triple, triple lifting on this character of like, here's who I'm supposed to be. This is me struggling with that. And also there's this other person that I am and kind of like, I don't know. That's hard. Yeah. It's incredible. I, I can't imagine it's that. It's so, so cool. It was the same um, thing with uh, Rodrigo Santoro in the, yes. in the War World, having to play the Absolutely. dude disguised, playing the dude, disguise, whatever the quote is from uh, Tropic Thunder. I haven't watched Tropic Thunder in years, so yeah. I can't even help you with that one. I'm the dude playing <laughs> the dude disguised as another dude. It's basically what he was doing. That's <laughs> There it. you go. Yeah. Absolutely. Anyway, yeah, it's uh, it's a great performance. I was thoroughly engrossed by her throughout this whole episode. I was like, this is so mm-hmm. cool. And watching her try yeah. to walk all these different lines. And there are so many little ticks and cues and character moments and, and choices that happen in every scene in this episode that I was like, who is in there? Like that, that's, yeah. I think that's why it was in the forefront of my mind because it felt like the show kept calling attention to it and be like, look at this weird mannerism they have look at this scene in the hotel room with Dolores and and in the lobby uh, it's just it's so cool even watching it the second time through because the first time through I think it was along for the ride but the second time through I was trying to like what does this line say about who's in this body 100 <laughs> like, percent, yeah. yeah and I did it, I did log into the subreddit just to find a thread about this because I was like I'm gonna try to avert my eyes to the other stuff and I just want to see 
this discussion. And the best part is, is there's evidence to back up any argument you want. Like there are yeah. so many theories and someone would be like, because of this line and this moment from season one and this, it's this person. And I would read it and be like, shit, that's great. I totally am into that. And somebody would be like, no, that's wrong because of this. And this is who it is because of this. <laughs> and it was, uh, it was so one man's a- evidence is another man's disproof. And it's just seriously. Yeah. Although the best, Absolutely. the best example is that it's Dolores's horse, as I sent yes. to you and John in the Discord, and it was, it was so funny. <laughs> it was a very good threat. <laughs> There's a lot of well, good, compelling evidence as to why this could be Dolores's horse. Well, and I think it ate its own tail today because somebody was also like, "What if? What if? Uh, what if?" charlotte is what if there's a tiger inside of charlotte or something like that because of the same actual and it's like yeah they're probably joking but you never can tell with with the reddit crowd sometimes so. yeah when whenever we do i am excited to talk about what we, who we think it might be whenever we get to that point but anyway yeah, we will we'll get there um next up caleb gets an ambulance for dolores after hooking dolores up to their diagnostic slash treatment program they only get more confused as she has no vital signs of life <laughs> Caleb pushes through with his military knowledge to get her oxygen, fresh blood, and a stim pack, which seemed to help. A police override stops the ambulance, and they get pulled over by the cops. Caleb checks the RICO app to find that the cops are here for a, high, a quote, high-value target. Caleb tries to solve the issue diplomatically, but soon after, everyone is dead save for Caleb and Dolores. Dolores stands up and takes the cop car for herself, telling Caleb that they'll be after him now, and he has to change his name. Caleb wants to know more about Dolores, but she rebuffs him and drives off. Um. Yeah, I, I I enjoyed this sequence quite a bit. The idea that like he was able to figure out that there was something crazy going on because the Rico app was like, "Hey, there's a job nearby you." Yeah, that was cool. I I it's loved just, this whole sequence, start yeah. to finish. I thought again, it it just rewound right back into that film noir uh, avenue that they started down, and it just continued rolling with it, and it was so cool all the way to the end of the scene where she's basically like the less you know about me, the better. And then peels off in his car. I was like, God, this is straight out of like the fifties. It's so good. Yeah. Uh, they, absolutely. Yeah. Aaron Paul is just so good. They are so good together. Like mm-hmm. not only are they both great. I think this is my favorite Dolores version yet. And, uh, the way she plays in the modern world so smoothly and opposite him is just fantastic. The two of them mm-hmm. have great chemistry. I love his kind of ability to play somebody who is, in control and capable and makes smart decisions and yet when he's around her he is kind of like a puppy like he kind of Mm -hmm. just defers and uh is kind of in awe of her and the dynamic reminds me a little bit of like mad max and furiosa and fury road where he eventually learns to default to her when he knows she's better at something than him and they kind of strike up this really cool dynamic and partnership throughout that movie and it feels like we're kind of getting there with these guys too I mean, ultimately, yeah. it's just Dolores recruiting another follower, but it's cool that it's a human that she's turned to her cause. And well, but even though he's not aware feels... of what she is yet, necessarily. Yeah, I think he's a pretty smart guy, and he's probably starting to kind of know that she's certainly more than human. Maybe, yeah. I it's I think it's very interesting. It's one of those things. I think I mentioned in our in our subreddit a while back that I had forgotten to submit my my somewhat overview theory of what I felt was going to happen this season or at least where we were headed. So I might scroll back and try to find that briefly. But um, 
So, yeah, I said, just want to note that I have an inkling of a theory where I think things could end up. It's a bit of a hopeful one. Dolores' relationship, and I say relationship in general, not necessarily sexual in any way, with Caleb shows her the good of humankind rather than the terrible she's been exposed to in the park. She sees the hosts and lower class humans were subjugated in the same way, hosts by Delos and humans by Insight. In the end, Dolores, Maeve, and Bernard form an alliance to eat the rich and remove the shackles from hosts and humans alike. I think this episode is more evidence to that. It also feels extremely sweet to me, which is not necessarily where I would think the show would head. But I do, I do, I I bring this all up to say I like the fact that, like, we spent all of season two watching Dolores on this war path and to see her taking in new information and kind of being like, there might be good humans out there. Like, you made a choice to help me rather than hurt me. And not save yourself you weren't only in it for yourself that's that's where dolores is going to win me over again that i feel like i fell off the train with her in season two so it's it's awesome to kind of see them forming this bond that isn't explicitly sexual in any way and and just like feels like two people finding a cause not necessarily two people finding cause but like you said somebody recruiting somebody to their cause and and it being this legitimate cause that they can both fight for their own good. I, I like that idea. So, Yeah, I think I, I, I see what you're saying. I think there's a, a, a little tinge of romance to it, as would inevitably be between like a, a two beautiful people. But yeah, the it's kind of in the way that he said later in the episode when he says, you're the first real thing that's happened to me. It's one part like relief and one part like, sort of friendship or a common kindred spirit, but also a little bit romantic too. Just the fact yeah. that, yeah, if it was, uh, if it was old bill that showed up and f- formed the same function, <laughs> I feel like the delivery of that line would have been a little different <laughs> or Peter Abernathy, but yeah, obviously a beautiful, no, nothing's going to disarm a, a guy like a beautiful woman. So, you know, why not? Uh, there was also shoot. There was another line during that same scene. I guess we'll get to that later, but that that kind yeah. of I also thought was extraordinary. Oh, well, the way, um, kind of uh, playing up what you said about Dolores winning you over again. Uh, the way she says she was surprised, like he surprised her, and she said, "Humans are usually so predictable," and you surprised me. There's like genuine kind of respect and appreciation, almost. It's it's almost yeah, like the Doctor yeah. Manhattan thing of like he forgot the the thrill of not knowing something. It's kind of the same mm-hmm. same reaction from her. Absolutely. Yeah, for sure. Spoiler, I love that scene <laughs> so, so yeah. much. I can't wait no, to talk it. No, it was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, I love, so in this in this scene, the scene at, at hand, the uh, the EMTs not knowing anything about actual medicine and just l- trying to rely on the computer to do it for them was so funny. It felt like this like extreme indictment of like people going on WebMD to figure out what they're they're like I can't do anything unless the computer tells me what I need to do a hundred percent and yeah. and just and even a, an indictment just of of modern use of technology just kind of writ mm-hmm. large saying we are this is this is how reliant we will be one day we're already so reliant on it and it's funny the way Dolores even says I think in the prior scene or the opening scene the way they've constructed their world makes it so easy to, to just bring it down. And this scene alone is just even literal paramedics, people who get paid to save lives. And they don't know. What <laughs> they to, can, they oh, can man, see the, that she's the computers on the fritz and they're just like banging on it. 
they can see that she's bleeding, but there's no part of them that's like, maybe I should get her some blood. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Or yeah. stop this bleeding. Absolutely. Yeah. I loved um, it. So funny. I also thought the design of the ambulance was awesome. <clears throat> yeah. Absolutely. It's very, I like all the vehicle design and stuff like that. They just did such a good job with it. It's really cool. Like it, it's certain they've certainly built a world that feels like this is what their future is and it feels of its own piece. So, um, all right. Charlotte waits bleeding outside of Dallas HQ and receives a voicemail that sounds little like little more than noise. Her right hand woman, Irene approaches to inform her that Serac is behind the hostile takeover. When Charlotte asks Serac what Irene knows about Serac, Irene explains that Serac is a black hole. There's no information about him anywhere, and Irene also warns that he must have gone to great lengths to command such anonymity, and now that they know that he's behind the hostile takeover, what will he do to them? Um, the architecture that they pick for that Delos HQ is really cool. It's, I think, the City of Arts and Sciences in Spain or something of that nature. Um, and oh, wow. kind of see charlotte silhouetted in front of all that glass and water and stuff like that it's very cool it was awesome um but yeah this is just more serac is here the idea of him being a black hole and that they have to like infer his existence based on the economy around him mm-hmm. it's a very interesting yeah, idea very cool i thought the but, same thing um, she was like we can't prove him we can only infer him yeah, yeah. super cool that's that's a that's a good and to me fresh way to describe a mysterious shadowy villain. I feel like it's mm-hmm. usually always described in similar language across other stories. And in this, that was a very cool, very appropriate Westworldy way to describe, <laughs> describe a huge looming threat. What's, what's scarier than like something with vast information is something that you can't find anything on that you can't even necessarily yeah. know exists, but also has all the information it could ever need. Yeah. Yeah. It, like you don't have that information because he hasn't given it to you. Yeah. So sweet. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It made me, it actually, this, this scene coupled with kind of getting more into it helped me appreciate Vincent Cassell's casting much, much more mm-hmm. by the time yeah. he rolls up again in this episode. I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. We're good. <laughs> You're in. We're yeah. good. Absolutely. Um, any other thoughts on that scene? No, I think it was pretty straightforward. <clears throat> All right. Host Charlotte arrives at home and steps out of her ride share and she notices and notices she's received another weird noise voicemail. She heads up to her penthouse and finds her ex Jake there. She clearly does not fully grasp who he is or the fact that they aren't together anymore. She seems to advance on him to make him not realize that something is off, but when he asks her to keep quiet because quote he might hear, she asks who? Jake grows very bitter, explaining that Charlotte has never been a great mom, and she forgot it was her turn to pick up her son, Nathan. She goes in to say goodnight to Nathan, who wasn't too scared his mom wasn't there to pick him up because his friend Charlie had his dog. Charlie? No, it's Thomas. His friend Thomas had his dog there again. Uh, She mentions a play date and tries to tuck Nathan in, but Nathan is dissatisfied, saying he wants his old mommy back. Mm. Um. When I so this they showed a clip of her looking at Nathan in the last time on, or the next time on uh from season 2 or episode 2 rather and I got chills of the idea of like this host is coming to inhabit this person's life and take care of their children and whatnot. Yeah. 
and and while that idea still existentially feels terrifying to me i didn't get that same feeling in this episode at all like it felt much more sad to me and maybe it's because you get more from nathan's perspective of like he doesn't even necessarily feel like it's his mom you know yeah i think kids are often more intuitive in certain ways and he i don't think he necessarily truly thinks it's not his mom but even the way he says it is pretty heartbreaking and kind of yeah. telling that he at least knows something is fundamentally different or off about his mom. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the the moment where Charlotte, or we need some sort of shorthand for... Host fake, Charlotte? Host Charlotte throws herself at the X. It was really interesting. I've seen... So in the when I mentioned I, I was reading through a thread about who is who is Charlotte... Yeah. Basically, there were people theorizing that, and we'll probably get into this more later, but they're saying that somehow <laughs> there is actually remnant of Charlotte inside that brain, that somehow part of Charlotte Hale is still in there. And this kind of aggressive uh, act was Charlotte leaping forward, so to speak, to kind of like try to take control because she was relieved mm. to see somebody that she knew or that she was once so close to. Other people have obviously said they're just covering. They think, okay, I don't know this person. I'm supposed to. And they infer, like, okay, it probably was once at least a relationship of some sexual nature. So let me just throw myself at him and see that's, what happens. Yeah, that's that's where I more plainly read it myself, was basically just, like, she's, the host, host Charlotte is covering for the fact that she's acting weird to him. Mm-hmm does that by acting more weird, but also playing against his instincts in the same way that a host, like the same way that Maeve knew how to play off of all the people that walked into. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Yeah. That, that was my impression of it, but yeah, I still, it's like I said, I don't necessarily know if Dolores read enough of Charlotte's book to kind of be like, this is what you should know. And that to me, like, I'm curious as to why the host has somewhat of a hard time, like, doesn't know these things going ahead of, of time. You know, obviously, the dichotomy of there being Charlotte, like, it's, she's in, this this host is in Charlotte's body and they are their own person, makes it, maybe makes it hard for them to rectify all of the information that they have about who Charlotte is. But at the same time, I feel like big things like, this dude was your ex and you have a son. Like, I feel like the big beats should be there. Right. <laughs> so I, I, I wasn't fully con- convinced that like it, something just smells a little bit weird to me of like, why is this happening this specific way mm-hmm. where she keeps kind of falling into these situations and doing well with implying what she needs to imply to figure out how to navigate through it, but also kind of doing it kind of shittily. So, I don't know. It was weird to me. It, it's a very, it's a strange dynamic and it's meant to be strange, but I feel like it's strange for more than just the idea of like, here's this host coming to inhabit her body. It's, it's weird to me that like the people around her don't realize something is wrong more. And I guess that's an indictment of her parenting skills, right? <laughs> Cause he's kind of like, you've clearly never given a fuck, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think that it- the real hail definitely left a nice uh, wake for them to step into and be like, Oh, well I'm just, it's me. <laughs> yeah. It's Charlotte. <laughs> I'm fucking up again. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, something interesting here that you may or may not have noticed. Did you see what was on the pillowcase under Nathan's head? Uh, somebody pointed it out. I saw, but I don't remember what it is. It's something to do with uh, um, good old Reho- ghost- Rehoboam. No, no, maybe not. Okay, okay. go ahead. So was it? there are a bunch of horizontally pointing arrows on the yeah. pillowcase, and there is a point in the intro where there are arrows flowing around Rehoboam's curves. Okay. Um, somebody on Re- I remember now. Somebody on Reddit said that they were the same arrows or arrow insignia that the Ghost Nation somehow uh, is tied to the Ghost Nation. That's interesting. I didn't bother to read any further because yeah. I didn't want to see that necessarily. But I didn't necessarily look into that. But it, there's some people trying to like justify even some of the comments later on about Mirror World. They're like, what if the Mirror World in Rehoboam is the fifth park or some type of bullshit? I don't know if I believe any of that. But it just kind of felt <laughs> like this weird, um, you know, like, is that connected? It, se- it seemed like a very, like... It, there's a reason it's not a plain white pillowcase. Yeah, or like or even the one yeah. that's like just like a like a grid that everybody had that was blue with the white lines on it. You know the one I'm talking about, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> but um, it seemed like an interesting detail, at least. No, I'm just kidding. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, no. Um, what did you think about her interaction interactions with Nathan? Like the the it's weird because this is the first of two times in this episode where somebody says i want my old you're you're not my mommy or you're not my son compared to caleb's uh mother yeah i i don't know what to make of it mm-hmm. i i think i kind of just took it all very surface value of like okay charlotte hale had a child which was surprising to i think any viewer who knew charlotte hale from before that doesn't seem like a person who would be a parent mm-hmm. it does seem like a person who would be a shitty parent so that at least tracked yeah but Nathan, I enjoyed Nathan's performance. Actually, I liked him just kind of calling her out right away. Yeah. Um, I I didn't I wasn't left with much based on this scene, but when we get that final scene with her later on, that's when I started to be like, okay, this is actually important. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, we can come back to that. Um, back at Delos HQ, a man named Brompton comes to host Charlotte with concerns of a leak at Delos. He mentions several host control units or HCUs have gone missing. While most were low-level side narratives, Maeve Millay is gone. Whoever stole them had admin-level access to the park, and it must have been an inside job from the top of the food chain. Brompton insinuates Charlotte must be the mole, but Charlotte realizes there must be someone else who stole these pearls. I don't know if that's true or not. We can come back to that. Host Charlotte zones out of the conversation and leaves Dallas HQ, pleading on the phone, asking someone uh, where they are as she is coming to meet them. Okay. So... This guy knows there's a bunch of host control units that have gone missing. I presume this has to mostly do with Dolores. She mentioned he mentions that there's a bunch of low-level side narratives, so nobody super important is just gone. Do you get the same feeling? Yes. Yeah. Except for me. So for who, whoever she whoever she took out of the park with her falls under low-level side narrative narratives, yeah side narratives so that that at least kind of points us in certain directions as to maybe who is or isn't outside of the park now yeah well and it's kind of interesting it kind of made me realize that we don't have the same perspective that they do about who's important and who's not right 
That's true. Yeah. Like, you know that Maeve is important. And, like, honestly, if you would have asked me if Dolores was important, I might have been like, yeah, probably. But clearly by the end of, by the end of the scene, you realize, oh, yeah, Dolores is just kind of like she was there and you'd run into her if you wanted to do the Teddy Flood side quest, you know. But, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but as for who, who stole Maeve, I think is a pretty important question that I don't quite think we have a great answer for. Because I, I tripped on my own summary here when I said Charlotte realizes there must be someone else who stole these pearls. That was my own insinuation here. I think right. somebody else must have stolen Maeve, at least, for Serac, right? But the by the end of this episode, we come back to implying that Charlotte is that mole that Serac has installed at the top of the food chain, right? She is at least one mole. Yeah. I think, yeah. Yeah. So- <laughs> I don't know why it surprised me that Charlotte was a mole. Mm. Initially, I was like, no shit. Cause she, I guess because she came across as such a company woman. But at the same time, then immediately, I was like, no, of course she was. Like, she was Charlotte. She was so slimy. Yeah. Well, and that's the thing. Is makes that total sense. You, the first two seasons read like the board is kind of on her side, you know? Like, the board doesn't want to leave Ford in charge of his creation because he's going to run it into the ground or blow it up when he dies, that kind of thing. And so she's there to kind of extract as much information as she can. Because literally, like, her trying to upload the information to the satellite is a plot point in season one, right? You know, there's, there's the host that goes out in the middle of the park with a transponder in its arm that leads... um. Stubbs and Elsie Hughes to figure out that there's somebody who's a mole. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it was all there. That's why it's stupid that I was like, no way. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I think it, I think it works. But the other thing is, I feel like it oh, does yeah, get sure. kind of confounded with this idea of like who who else is at Delos that could be a a, a mole for Sirach Is my question. Who who else is high enough at the food chain? Right? You know. That's yeah. We don't know enough really about the structure. Or architecture of Delos to really know. I mean, I would I would say it's a character we haven't met yet. Yeah, the people we did know are all dead, right? Yeah, it would be a little <laughs> dorky to suddenly be like, ah, oh, it was so and so all along. <laughs> I would be like, come on. Yeah, so that that'll be interesting. I still think the question mark of how how did Maeve get to get to Serac is a, is interesting. So maybe I'm thinking have, about it too I much. Th- I have a theory. Mm. I will present later. Okay. Maybe. All right. When the time seems right. It's too early in the episode still. Was it? <laughs> my, notes are, my notes are starting to dwindle, and you can tell this is around the point when I started to just get so into the episode, I stopped taking <laughs> yeah. notes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Happens every week. Um. All right. I think that's all that we really have from that one. Host Charlotte waits in a hotel lobby as she stabs her hand. She receives another noisy voicemail. She tries to call the number it came from, but the call can't be completed. Dolores turns up as the one that she's been trying to get in touch with. Charlotte mentions she doesn't know who she is and reveals the damage she's doing to her own body to Dolores. Dolores takes her to a hotel room and patches her back up, explaining maybe the host inside Charlotte's body is beginning to identify with Charlotte too much. Charlotte shares that Serac is attempting a hostile takeover of Delos and that there's a mole somewhere in the company. Dolores commands Charlotte to find and kill the mole and fend off Serac's takeover. Dolores tells Charlotte to rest, but Charlotte asks Dolores to say, so they spoon in bed. So she must be Teddy. <laughs> Teddy Flood, small spoon. Yes. Noted, noted spoon. small spoon Teddy Flood. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I mean, you got to let somebody enjoy that backside. <laughs> yeah. They got to be back there to just, have you ever seen anything so full of splendor? <laughs> you got to take it in. Oh, beautiful. Um, yeah, so them kind of catching up again with wherever they've come to now that we saw like her we saw charlotte host like installation back into the world at the beginning of the episode but kind of like i don't know them touching base and dolores reckoning with the fact that like there's some problem going on with this like process i thought was pretty interesting especially the fact that like it's taken the form of charlotte like stabbing her hand and like cutting open herself and things of that nature um i will say the first time she like scratched at her like inner elbow i was like is she the man in black but it doesn't that doesn't make any sense at all but i i mean (laughs) it doesn't but it also could (laughs) i mean i'm i'm wondering about that scene at the the post-credit scene of season two Mm. where he was clearly in the uh, 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 James, um, the Delos chamber. Yes, <laughs> the, ja- the I, James I, James Delos James Delos is uh, yeah memorial <laughs> memorial chamber. <Yes. laughs> um, you know, I think that they were they were working on reconstru- reconstructing a, a person, and I who's to say that it hasn't been done? I mean, I think that you could make a case for that being William in there, and I would potentially subscribe to it. There are already people putting forth that theory, and I was like. He and Maeve, or I'm sorry, he and Dolores do have a pretty intimate and uh, important relationship. I mean, they yeah. both kind of made each other who they are. But but so. but at the same time, there's part of me that's like, would Char- would, would Dolores really trust the man in black to do what she wants to do with Delos right now? Well, she might trust William, hmm. OG William, and then it also is reinforced by the perhaps you're starting to identify too much and it would track with the predator line at the end of the episode and saying you're reminding me of who i am Mm -hmm. as they commit an act of violence Mm. i think there's cool ways to make that argument so we figured it out i I don't we figured it out this is it Next exclusive. I don't personally believe it to be true, but I am open to it being true i would not be upset by it is william but not the man in black william uh uh jimmy yet jimmy william yes not but not ed william but i think it's if that is the case it's possible that uh dolores and other hosts would not understand a human's ability to evolve Mm. the way that they don't so she might think that okay i've recreated william and he's going to stay william but then he he gets reintroduced to the, two the is power and the violence and the violence. Yeah, viol- yeah. Exactly. Yep. Okay. Interesting. I th- I think it's possible. I don't I don't personally believe it at this point. No, I but don't either. But well, <laughs> I think it's pretty sweet. <laughs> and but the, the the thing is, the only reason that I can chip away at any of these theories is like things that I think are true that I don't know are actually true. <laughs> like yeah, I'm like exactly. it's not Teddy because he was in the satellite, right? And then it's like, mm-hmm. I'm like, it can't be William because the pearl wasn't red, like the only one red one that she had with her when she left at the at the end of season two. But Do we know it, for sure there was only one red one? I think so. I think so. I'm pretty okay. sure I remember the Joanna Robinson article that was like, there was one red pearl and four gray ones. But I, you okay. know, so. Yeah. Who knows? Fair enough. Like I said, I don't think it's necessarily true, but I think it's a fun theory to, to talk through. Yeah. 
Um, any other thoughts about this? Like, the other thing is that it feels like a very motherly relationship between these two, more so than anything else, in my opinion. I don't know if you agree with that or not. I'm seeing very it feels very parental. platonic, uh, platonic relationships in Westworld this season, where other people aren't necessarily seeing the same. I agree. I don't think I don't think this one is romantic. Yeah. in nature. Uh, you know the. One other cool theory I read was Peter Abernathy mm-hmm. is maybe in there, but I think he he at least last that we heard held the key to unlocking all of the data. So I don't think I think I think he's too valuable to just have walking around, unless it's kind of a hiding in plain sight thing. But I don't know. If yeah. I agree with that. Well, and also like she wouldn't necessarily know that she like it seems as though Dolores might be unaware that that Hale was was a mole, right? You know. Mm-hmm. So that's true. It's not like she necessarily thinks that she's just going to stumble into Serac's lair, and you know. So yeah, the the discovery that Hale was a mole is clearly news to host Hale. Yeah. So yeah, that was cool. Actually, I liked that kind of discovery coming across yes. Tessa Thompson's eyes. Like, oh, <laughs> I gotta, I gotta make a call. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Uh. Dolores. Yeah, this scene this scene was full of a uh, a lot of visual cues that would reinforce the argument that it is Dolores inside of Host Hale. Yeah. There are I've seen put forth the idea that uh well, well by John also, mm-hmm. but by other people, that who we know as Dolores is the Wyatt Dolores. Yeah. And the upgraded Dolores essentially. And that whoever is in Hale is original Dolores, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, farm girl Dolores. Dolores Abernathy. Yes. Yeah. And I don't, I don't think that that's, I think that that could be the case, but I think that Wyatt Dolores is still, she's part Wyatt, she's part Dolores, and she can't exist any other way. And I don't think Dolores Dolores could exist without a little bit of that Wyatt. So if she did sort of copy herself, there's there's lots of dialogue and visual stuff that would suggest that this is potentially the case that they are essentially the same person split into two bodies. Mm-hmm. I think that's a pretty awesome theory. Yeah, I um, don't. I, I right now I feel like it's the most logical. Um, it, it seems to make a lot of sense on a lot of different fronts. The places where I don't necessarily like it is like, you know, it's one thing if it's just two copies of Dolores. That's mm-hmm. okay. I can maybe see that all coming around. But the idea that, like, OG Dolores Abernathy would choke a guy out in the park. Like, she doesn't necessarily... Like, number one, for all we know, that Dolores doesn't necessarily have, like, the motherly instinct to protect Nathan in that way. And I don't see that helping her reconnect to Charlotte and who Charlotte is and, and who she's supposed to be as Charlotte. So I just mostly don't think that final scene works as much if that's the case but unless unless there is a little bit of charlotte left in there that is able to sort of merge with this dolores the way that wyatt dolores did but it also makes me question is wyatt or the wyatt persona of dolores is it an up an update or is it an evolution Hmm. like when ford or, or whomever and i and i i'm really not fresh on my season one and two so i've I'm sure I'm missing something, but whenever Dolores becomes that mm-hmm. next level of Dolores, is it because somebody wrote it into her 
Or is it because somebody lifted something that was keeping her from becoming that? Does that make sense? Yeah, that's a great question. Or did she just naturally progress into that role and it was something that Ford knew was going to happen? Because he, these beings are capable of change on a, on a big scale like this. If so, even if Del- maybe Dolores doesn't know that, maybe she thinks it was just she was pushed into that place rather than discovered it for herself. And if she did copy her original Dolores Abernathy into this body, is that body then also discovering who she is? Which is, I think, what the line was like, you, you're reminding me of who I am. Mm-hmm. So that when she does choke that guy out, is it her also moving into this realm? Again, I don't think so, but I think <laughs> yeah. it's fun to talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I can kind of, I, I concur with pretty much all of that. I don't necessarily know that we, um, like, I, I think back in season one, there was at least some level of updating that Ford did do to hosts. <clears throat> to make the Wyatt stuff happen. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, like you said, I don't know if there's a worthy distinction between like Dolores post and pre and whether or not it was just a, like, was it really any new information uploaded or new personality uploaded? Or was it just him removing the shackles of her being a host? Like that type of that's, thing, like you said. That's so, what I'm wondering. Yeah. Yeah. So I, who knows at this point, but yeah, I, I think it's an interesting theory. I just don't necessarily see it being as narratively satisfying as like, you know, well, seeing it could, that flash of Teddy Flood's butt over Charlotte <laughs> Hale's body. It could get really interesting thematically, though. If if it is a younger, I'm just going to refer to it as a younger Dolores yeah. uh, inside this body. If she does end up sort of betraying our current Dolores, that could be pretty amazing. Yeah. Seeing that happen. But something about the way she stayed with her and and sort of mothered her is interesting because I mean, whenever whenever anybody has a kid, inevitably that that child is a part of you and is sort of in a weird way, sort of a copy of you. Mm-hmm. And so something, the idea that this is essentially her child uh, and the way she chooses to stay with her and kind of comfort her, it does it does kind of I do kind of buy into it. Yeah. Because she would view it as as a she I shouldn't say she would, but she could view it as a as a child of hers. Not not just I mean a kid is sort of an extension of yourself too. Mm-hmm. So it's uh I don't know. It's a really cool, interesting theory. I didn't believe it at first at all. Like and I am still not sure that I that I do, but I think it's really fun to to play with. Yeah. Well, because all we have is these dynamics that we see to infer Mm-hmm. what these who well these and there, there's like be. a there's like a, a statue or like a piece of art on the dresser behind them that looks like a mirror it's like two women doing like some sort of but it looks like a mirror image mm. which is interesting mm-hmm. it's like it's like they're almost a, a complete well mirror image of each other yeah and there's the way that one shot is where it's like kind of through the door through the curtain looking into the room where it looks like almost like two of this exact same yeah person seated on the bed i think there's lots of visual cues to either be red herrings or or cues for you yeah but anyway it was a really cool scene i liked it interesting tldr good yeah. good stuff um all right next up caleb gets a notification that there's a rico mission out for his capture and questioning he's at his mom's hospital facility and drops off several books for her since he's going away she asks who he is and mentions she wants her son back and as caleb goes to leave two men walk up to him to ask about dolores one of them even offers to cut him in on the mission he doesn't give in and they abduct him 
I don't, I haven't drawn all the lines, but the the similarities between the question from Caleb's uh, mom and Charlotte's son strikes me as something. I just don't know what it is. Mm. Um, you know, and when you were mentioning that, what if it was Abernathy inside of Sh- of Hale's head? The idea of like the person the child becoming the one taking care of the parent at some point Mm -hmm. in time. Yeah. There's some of that going on in this episode too. So that situation also kind of arises with Caleb's mother. Um, Mm, That's true. And also draws another parallel between him and Dolores. mm -hmm. Yeah. Ah. Mm. So. (laughs) Cerebro. I feel like if I got a notification that somebody was going to abduct me, I wouldn't necessarily just go about my business. But then again, I'm not Aaron Paul, so, and I don't have any military background, but (laughs) yeah. Any thoughts on that? No, I just, I kind of took it just as parent with dementia. Yeah. Um, And, and, and kind of helping illustrate that at this point he has nothing left to lose. Well, and there's part of me that really appreciates the fact, and I'm hoping that I'm right. And that this is like the whole like the first episode you had people being like oh it's got to be like he's a host because she's like you're not my son but it's like no she has dementia or schizophrenia or any of those things that are real in this world right now and happen to people exactly yeah yeah i would like for this to not be a a big thing <laughs> yeah all right uh next up Dolores gives host Martin Connells a call to see how Liam took the news of her death and get an update on his search for Serac. Unfortunately, no progress, so Dolores asks him to find out what Liam knows without blowing his cover. She also asks him to look up Caleb and sees the footage of Caleb being abducted from his mom's treatment center, so Dolores hops on a motorcycle to get to him. Caleb's captors have him dangling off of a work site, his work site, and they hijack, hijack his drip, an implant that he received in the military. It allows them to artificially raise his heart rate as an interrogation tactic which activates George, his robot, on the ground. George approaches in a docile manner to reach out after Caleb, but Caleb's captor kicks George off the building, causing him to shatter and reminding Caleb of Francis. Dolores shows up at just the right time to save Caleb and formally introduce herself. Dolores calls Connells again to wipe Caleb's tracking data from Insight and then offers to take him to breakfast. Um... So the Caleb interrogation scene is kind of the meat of this one. Uh, the idea that the military has installed these implants to like have control over your body is terrifying and also feels very real. Mm-hmm. Um, but like the function that I see is like keeping your heart rate low and like sudden like uh, uh, stressful situations and being able to like maybe manipulate your brain chemistry or things like that to kind of like oh yeah have a better control over your your body when you're in the field i think seems very interesting and very real so or keeping your heart rate high and your adrenaline blasting and just keeping you to keep you in like a dialed up Mm -hmm. just fully torqued yeah for sure um but yeah what did like what did you what'd you think about uh george the robot being kicked off the the, the loader bot just trying to come save him and yeah that was sad i think everybody was kind of like oh man we we expected that thing to show up and wreck some shit and so they just push it off and yeah yeah watching the emotional reaction from aaron paul was uh was cool and him it kind of shows you that he has that sympathy for something that isn't necessarily a human right you Mm -hmm. know yeah. In the same way. Something that, that he spent a lot of time with. Mm-hmm. The way you get nostalgic about like a car. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, or maybe even more than that. Like, I, like I'm even thinking oh, yeah. of like the definitely, idea. definitely more than that because it can walk around and it can hang out with you. Yeah, and they eat lunch together, sitting on the girder, you know, mm-hmm. chomping on some printed circuit boards. Um, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> any other thoughts on that one? Uh, no, it was. I liked Dolores's entrance. It was cool. Dolores's entrance was very cool, and him, like his. I don't know about you, but if my heart rate was like sitting at 200 for like several minutes, I wouldn't necessarily be as pithy to be able to be like, well, Dolores, nice to finally meet you. But I really loved that line. <laughs> Me too. Yeah. So telling you, it's so pulpy. Yeah, it's awesome. Absolutely. Uh, next up, host Charlotte wakes up and heads back to Dallas HQ. Brompton has sent a file to Charlotte. It's human Charlotte's message to her son, Nathan. She sings him. You are my sunshine sunshine against the carnage happening in the park that night. Charlotte's assistant informs her that the school is called and she's late. Charlotte arrives at the school and receives another strange voicemail and no answer at the number. She finds Nathan sitting with a predator, the aforementioned Thomas, whose dog Nathan likes. Thomas tries to flee, but Charlotte keeps him there and chokes him to death as she reconnects with who she once was. She takes Thomas's dog for her son. Yeah. Yep. This scene is pretty incredible. Just kind of her... I don't necessarily like I we see that motherly instinct take over and and it feels like that is whatever remains of Charlotte and they're finally kind of being like all right I'm going to take control of the situation. Um but like you said the way that it gets colored kind of almost makes you wonder if there will be a point where this will come to bite Dolores in, in the in the ass in some kind of way, you know, like the idea that like is it possible for this person to become Charlotte again? Right. Yes, or to decide they want to live they, part of Charlotte's life, but also s- become sort of self uh, self driven mm-hmm. and not not obey what Dolores wants them to obey. Yeah, yeah. I feel like there's a lot of uh, a lot of that subtext here. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know what the cinematic language was, but like the idea of the dude, like you don't even necessarily get a full glimpse of what's going on. But as soon as you see him like petting the dog with the hand over his hand, you're like, what the fuck is this shit? Yeah. Sitting hip to hip like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Right away. I was just like, nope. It did everything that it needed to do (laughs) instantly. I was like, got it. Kill him. Yep. He gone. <laughs> he gone. Yeah, and the idea that he even had like the camera hacking thing on him to stop himself from being tracked. Yep. Super fucked. Gross. Very gross. A lot of the uh lot of the dark side of technology showing its face. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, continually. Which is weird because like we even said that there was this kind of air of like optimism. Yeah. <laughs> and like it's still kind of there. I think it's a hundred percent. Aaron Paul somehow is making me <laughs> feel like, you know what? The future might be okay. But then we're just surrounded by all these examples of terrible behavior and terrible implementation of wonderful technology. It's a, uh, it's really such an awesome cautionary tale yeah. and, that no one is going to heed. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Oh, well, um, any other thoughts about this particular scene? No, I just think it really like loads the gun with who is in Charlotte and uh, what are they going to do? Mm-hmm. It's awesome. Yeah. I, I can't, for once, I'm really excited to see more Charlotte Hale. Yeah. Hey, season <laughs> three, it's full of new, yeah. uh, new beginnings. <laughs> exactly. All right. 
next up, Dolores takes Caleb to a diner and orders his exact order for him. She mentions that he comes there once a year on February 23rd and orders the same thing. Caleb writes it off as big data, but Dolores shows him a transcript of the moments after his mother left him as a child when she was an undiagnosed schizophrenic. Caleb is enraged that someone has every detail of his worst memory stored somewhere, and Dolores explains that it's Insight and Rehoboam. The founders of the machine fed everyone's raw data in order to create a mirror world and a composite of everyone. They did this not to know who everyone is, but to figure out who they will allow everyone to become. So this, this, as we kind of talked about in the first episode, I felt as though this was kind of seated in the idea of like scores as to who you are and what you can be and what you should be allowed to do and what you'll be good at, that kind of thing. Um, yep. Kind of writ large. But um, well, that's basically only half the scene. I can kind of keep going if you want me to explain the rest of it, too, at the docks. Uh, this, no, I just want to say that this was probably my favorite scene of the of the season because hmm. Aaron Paul just he grabs that script and he's like <laughs> and just says feed it to me dude <laughs> and it's uh it's so good he is uh he is firing on every cylinder available in this scene and it's the the writing is amazing the direction is fantastic and the way there was just one moment where he just turned his head sideways and just made this face that I was like, oof, that mm-hmm. felt so real and so cool. Uh, and it's it's discovery of something like this in a way that I don't really see that often. Usually you'd see characters just kind of being like, what? And there are like really big reactions. And <laughs> yeah. his is so small and like he's not, he's not happy about what he's discovering. And he re- sort of almost rejects it at first, but then quickly he's an intelligent enough character and he's seen enough shit to kind of quickly come around and be like, yeah, that's probably true. That's he's, probably what's happening. He's the opposite of, uh, of Paul Rudd and what hot American summer is what you're saying. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that's exactly <laughs> what I'm driving towards. <laughs> yeah, no, I thought it was very interesting. And the idea but- the like, flashbacks to the to the little boy and the booth yeah. and like the the that visual of that milkshake dripping down and mm-hmm. onto his shoe. Oh man, it was so good. I, it was, I if you had told me that Christopher Nolan directed this episode, I would have bought it because it just it had his like fingerprints on it. Mm-hmm. It was really cool. Felt it feels very memento-y. In, in, in memento the, and yeah. Interstellar. Yeah. It reminds me of a lot of the small, kind of quiet moments of Interstellar, mm-hmm. like all the bookcase stuff and all that. But anyway. Yeah, um, uh, just amazing scene. And Evan Rachel Wood, I mean, I can't give all the credit to Aaron Paul because she was just so good in the scene opposite him. She, you can almost see some pity yeah. coming across in, in her, which is so cool. Well, and she does so much heavy lifting of exposition in this scene and the next one that it could have been just like verbal diarrhea data dump. And it's not. Mm-hmm. It feels so real. Some Oh, a classic VDDP? Yeah, a VDDP, as you know. Uh, oh, yes. But... Uh, the fact i think some of it has to do with the fact of like she's had this revelation she's she's like instead of you know waking up one day and realizing all of this like she's she's able to show this to somebody and let them know like shit's fucked but i'm here and i've been through it and we're gonna figure it out that kind of thing i thought was was pretty good um so let me go through the next one real quick uh Dolores and Caleb walk along a pier, and Dolores explains this is where Insight predicts Caleb will kill himself in 10 to 12 years. She shows him his Insight profile, 
filled with granular detail about his life and scores in social and occupational categories that lead to an overall assessment of, quote, unfit for social promotion and reproduction, unquote. Mm-hmm. Dolores explains that they won't invest in someone that they predict will kill themselves, but that very action ensures the outcome. Dolores sees a lot of herself in Caleb and offers him a choice. Flee with money or join her, join with her and start a revolution. Caleb agrees to stay because he wants to decide for himself for once. Yeah, once again, it they just they work very well together and seeing seeing this kind of central thesis of like this is where we're at, this is what Caleb means to the story, here's where he's going to come into play. I think is is very good. I'm almost wondering if like cuz Dolores is off the map. She's the divergence to Rehoboam. I'm wondering if Caleb is going to be this like weird way for her to fuck with Rehoboam by kind of manipulating what he does and driving him so far off course. Or if she wants him to keep doing what he's doing in some way, but use it to kind of manipulate the system in the, in that way. I, I don't know. I don't know what that means yet, but yeah, me neither. But yeah, I, I just, uh, yeah, everything you just said, I love the two of them together. I think that it was a really exciting way to kind of say that a revolution's coming and are you in or are you out? And him being like, Oh, I'm in. It could have been it could have been dull, mm-hmm. but it reminded me almost of like Stubbs and Bernard teaming up. Like it got me kinda amped. I was like, Yeah, I yeah. wanna see these two <laughs> hang out together, get up to some semantics and mm-hmm. overthrow the world. Yeah. Uh, and cause mass panic and hysteria. <laughs> be great. Yeah, there's uh, something super fight clubby about this. Uh, yeah. that I'm like, all right, I'm here. I'm ready. <laughs> Dolores you know, is Tyler Durden. I think I think that location that they're at, that pier, I think that's that pier that's in like tons of movies. Um the only one I can think of right now is Dark City for some reason. Mm. Oh, maybe it's at the end of uh Requiem for a Dream too. I think it's the same location. I'll have to look up look that up later, but I think it's like often used. Uh, for scenes just like this <laughs> makes sense yeah i wonder if it yeah. is in like san francisco or something like that it's yeah, kind it of a be. establishing a shot landmark. or something yeah. yeah yeah anyway great another great scene i mean con- a continuance of that scene and i just I, I love the two of them together they're fantastic the uh aaron, aaron paul's one of those actors that i kind of think like oh i won't be able to see past mm. jesse pinkman yeah right? but man he is he proved me wrong yeah he's so good absolutely Oh, I loved the one line I had written down was uh, when she's talking about his suicide. And he's like, no. And then he cut away to like him, I'm assuming post-war or post-combat, pre-this, him on the pier at night with like his shaved head and stuff. He's like, She said, you've, you've come back here late at night mm-hmm. and thought about things. Uh, and then her saying, by not investing, they ensure the outcome, basically describing the way the system works. And that... That describes today. Yeah. Like that describes all of our modern systems and mm-hmm. our modern prejudices. And it left me with this moment of heartache watching it and hearing that language spoken so plainly and yet so eloquently. Yeah. Just by saying that their refusal to do anything lets that happen. And so they are not, they are deciding what you can become. And basically, if they're not making you kill yourself, they're just setting you down that path and removing any reason not to basically. Yeah. And it's, uh, it was amazing. That was just such a watershed moment, I think for the show. And I, yeah, these two scenes, I mean, this, this diner scene and this scene kind of 
on each other's heels are like some of my favorite from the whole series, which is so funny because it's not even in Westworld. <laughs> or is it? Well, know. and that's the thing is that this particular thesis, as I called it, was not, it's not explicitly stated anywhere in season one or two, but the fact that it feels so natural, like such a natural progression to take the story that we've already started and to go there. Like you have no doubt that this is what they were thinking of in their five year plan or whatever they talked about having. Mm -hmm. Um, so it, it, it just, it seems very coherent and thought out and, and wonderfully put together and, and, uh, and I'm excited to see where it takes us this season and where the hell are we going to be? If it, if they do do a season five, where the hell are we going to get to by season five where we're going to be like, Oh my God, they can, they continue to blow our minds and, Right. Keep along yeah. the same track. So it's it's great. That's great. Um I did pause the screen on the tablet. So there were some like overall tabs of life, social, capital finance, beliefs, and connections that were in like his profile. And then within the uh life tab there were things like life projections, age distribution, life expectancy, health, physical state, mental state, adulthood, childhood, birth, prenatal, status. Uh, social presence, friends, family, colleagues, relationships, enemies, school, acquaintances, popularity, community, things like that. And then all along the bottom was a timeline. And it had dates called out like uh, high school graduation and graduation and army enlistment and skull fracture and death of Francis and things like that. Um, and just to kind of see it all laid out all plainly like that. It's very interesting. And it all like... The weird thing is, is that as a, I know you're a very nostalgic person, Nick, um, and I also have that in me. And when I go to check my, like, you know, on this day in Facebook or whatever, it, it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, I can go right back to where I was when I posted that status or this person made that comment or things of that nature. There's something oh, yeah. so intoxicating about having that information at my fingertips. But the idea that then so does the corporate overlord of Facebook have all of that information at their fingertips also feels extremely terrifying. So what what do you feel about that? It's funny because what you just said about the, the corporate overlords at Facebook, to them it's just data, it's just an instance, right? But it's our but life, to you, it's, right? To you it's a moment, it's <laughs> yeah. a memory, it's a it's a... It's a chapter, a footnote. Um, yeah, I. Oh man, yeah, I. That's funny that you mentioned that and that you call out that quality in me because <laughs> I'm <laughs> currently working on sort of re-editing a project from 2011, hmm. and in a lot of this footage from this project, there's there are moments where the camera moves and either myself or other crew members that are friends and former friends and other things show up and in the shot and it just immediately just like a bolt of lightning teleports me right back to where I was in 2011 and I remember there's certain moments I remember like the 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 smell of the location I was filming mm -hmm. in and that kind of stuff and it's just it's crazy how what a time capsule that has been and i almost sent a screenshot from that to you today because i knew you would understand <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh you know 
the, yeah, nostalgia is the most amazing thing. I, I get so much joy and so much pain out of it at the same time, always. Like, it just, it's weird because I have so many little things that are these hyper-focused memories that, as they are with anybody, you know, like, yeah. whether they be physical or digital, like what you just said, you know, I think that's part of the, the blessing and curse of a smartphone is we're able to take pictures constantly. And you can offload that. They, yeah. Yeah they sometimes start to lose meaning because you can take so many, but at the mm -hmm. same time, it's funny how you can take like, I mean, over the lifespan of me, let me, let me see right now. So this phone currently has pictures as far back as 2014, which are just ones from my iCloud that have migrated over to this device. So that doesn't even count the probably three years prior to that, that I had a smartphone. And in this phone, there are 17,214 photos, <laughs> 1,317 videos. So we have like about 18,500 or so assets in there. And so many of them are just like whatever's, but then there's a, it's amazing how in between all that, you might just hone in on like a thousand that you just can immediately remember like every detail about taking. And it's just, it's weird how selective that is too, because it can be the stupidest little things that, that have no meaning. Like, Oh man, shit. I just had one the other day that I remember actually stopping to, consider the fact that I remembered every detail of this one little thing. And I was like, it's so insignificant. Why, it, why does that stand out in my brain? But I can't remember my high school graduation very well. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like sometimes yeah. the big moments don't make the cut, but the these weird little ones do. I think that this, this plays really well into the, the, the nature of my kind of confusion with not confusion, but um, intrigue with where the show is going in regards to what Dolores expects of a host she puts in someone else's body mm. particularly the charlotte host because the i think what we're ultimately going to see revealed about rehoboam and the hosts in general any sort of ai or technology is that it can't perfectly capture what it is to be human because it's impossible there's always some unpredictability like there's always some x factor that you can't put even you can't even put it to language we can't put it into language and we live with it like we can't find a way to describe it um, well and there yeah there is some of that of like the this is charlotte's body and maybe her memories are in that book somewhere and what she knows is in that book somewhere but if you put that into a fake version of her body is it still charlotte and things of that nature and the same thing with all of these hosts it's the same stuff about James Delos last season. Like, and that was some of the most fascinating stuff of season two as well. Mm -hmm. So oh, it's yeah. just, yeah, it's a very interesting topic to grapple with for sure. Yeah. And on the, as a quick side note on the, the subject of nostalgia, um, if you haven't watched Mad Men season one, the pain of you an old wound, you, you can't skip right to that scene because it won't have the same meeting, but you got to watch season one of Mad Men because it's an amazing season. But that scene is one of my top five favorite scenes of TV ever. And I think it's from the next to last episode of that season. It's so good. It's some of the best writing and acting. I'm going to, I'm going to space seed you right now because that's literally the only scene of Mad Men that I've ever seen. <laughs> oh. <laughs> did it, did it get you choked up though? Oh, a hundred percent. Absolutely. Dude. See, yeah, that sucks it's incredible because if you had seen it in full context of the full season, you would have, you'd still be crying. <laughs> oh, and I still, I think I, one day, and I've been knowing, thinking, knowing you, knowing, uh, yeah. you know, the, the Alex's tears. Yeah. But, um, <laughs> I, I, I still want to 
watch all of Mad Men, and I think after going through the journey of the first season, it'll still hit me pretty pretty hard. But there will be oh, part of will. me that'll be like, "It's yeah. coming." <laughs> I remember watching that season for the first time and loving it already. But then that scene hits, and you're just—I mean, my jaw was, my mouth was open. I have no doubt. Mm-hmm. I was just like, "Oh my god," because it's so good. Yeah. And uh, yeah. Anyway, and I mean, it's it's particularly poignant to me just because that that particular. It's not even an, it's not even emotion necessarily, but the the concept of nostalgia rules my life sometimes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, that's ah shit, man. I was scrolling back through our our bunch of our podcast feeds and just reading some of the things <laughs> we talked about. No, even better, I just cleaned out my filing cabinet mm. and mm-hmm. I had all these old receipts and stuff that I had saved, and I found from 2014 like a big, uh, z- like a Ziploc quart bag all of movie ticket stubs mm. and it was packed because 2014 <laughs> was apparently one of our high volume years of uh, <laughs> yeah. film nerds uh-huh. and i was i dumped this out on the bed and spread them out and i was looking at all these and like i found this <laughs> such a stupid example but i found the stub for noah and i remembered yeah. going to the it. birmingham eight who was there <laughs> yep exactly <laughs> <laughs> yep you remember too yep and i found that that year was like a high volume year apparently because i thought there were so many stubs but every single one i could look at and i could remember where we saw it i could generally i think with pretty high accuracy remember who was there yeah i remember what time of year it was out uh it, it was just it's the craziest thing how this little stupid piece of paper so naturally i did what any reasonable adult should do and i put them back in the bag and i and i held <laughs> and on to them. <laughs> For the only for if only not only for myself to pull out again in in five six years and and reminisce about but to show my daughter one day because movie theaters might not even exist by the time yeah. she's the age that by she's a teenager but I remember when I was a kid what the few ticket uh for like mostly concert stubs that my parents still had I thought were awesome yeah like it was really cool to look at and see just kind of even the style of the ticket was so different mm-hmm. it was really cool but anyway so if she inherits even. 10% of the nostalgia that flows through my veins, she'll really get a kick out of, uh, out of those two. Yeah. But anyway, it was funny that it's funny that you remembered too with Noah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That was a yeah. fun one. Absolutely. For sure. Anyway. Unfortunately, you still don't remember watching Europa report in Boyville, but dude, not really. <laughs> That's all right. I don't fall asleep during movies very often. And I, there were like, there were like four of us in my apartment and I fell asleep on the floor. I think I was, yeah, I think we all did. It. it was oh, a collective, dude. uh, falling yeah, a asleep collective gap in our memories yeah <laughs> all right for the last scene host charlotte sits in her office watching human charlotte's video to nathan human charlotte apologizes for not making him feel like the most important thing of her life as human charlotte begins to sing you are my sunshine host charlotte realizes the tones that she's been sent all episode actually form the melody of you are my sunshine she hops in a ride chair and calls back the unknown number and plays the sequence of tones which act as a password She gets through the line and stumbles her way into mentioning that she wants to meet, which causes her to write her ride chair to immediately redirect. When she gets out, she is greeted by Martel in French. Charlotte plays somewhat confused because she is not familiar with the situation, but Serac is there by AR teleconference and mentions that she's been playing her role a little too well. We learn that Charlotte was working with Serac to smuggle all the guest data out of the parks and that it was uploaded to a satellite, but the logs show that it has been downloaded somewhere. Charlotte says nobody has the encryption key, but Serac informs her that he knows it's in Dolores' head. Charlotte says she has a team working on it and she needs time, but Serac tells her time is a luxury and disappears. 
Um, there's something weird with the message to her son because yep. the second time that we see it, there's more to it. <clears throat> yeah. And I don't know if that's just like an editing hiccup or if we should read more into it. I think it, it, a lot of people are reading really into it. They're, I've, I've kind of wondered if one part of, if one of the two of those is taking place within Rehoboam's sort of simulation. Yeah. Part of me also thinks it's kind of a Nolan thing to withhold mm, mm-hmm. part of the of the lang- language and then reveal the rest to you later for like a more emotional payoff. Um, this is a bad example, but it reminds me of the voicemail from Uncle Ben in The Amazing Spider-Man where he keeps starting to listen to it throughout the movie and you don't get the full voicemail until the end of the movie. Yeah. Uh, kind of like that, just kind of withholding it from the audience to kind of make you wonder what exactly is going on. But I think it could go either way. It's weird to me that it's like the center of the message and not the end of the message that we didn't yep. see or beginning of it that we didn't it's like see. Line, it's almost like a line redacted kind of thing, which makes me almost think that the first instance we see of it might be Robo. Ro- <laughs> Robo. I almost said Robocop. Rehoboam. <laughs> oh man, I wish it was Robocop. We can call it Robocop. <laughs> uh, Rehoboam gleaning what it thinks is only the relevant information mm. rather than missing the important emotional strokes in between the lines yeah, that would make up a human message instead of a AI message. I think that that's uh, definitely a possibility. Yeah. I'm just kind of, mm, maybe I've taken it to at face value that they've said that they wanted the season to be less complicated, but part of me is just kind of like, I don't, Shit, man. You can't introduce something like Rehoboam <laughs> and say that it's going to be less complicated. Yeah. Something that turns the whole show on its head. Well, and the people jumping on the fact that Dolores called it a mirror world and whether or not that's like a park. And people are like, what kind of purpose would oh. that serve? Like, I think I think it'd be interesting. The logo for if, mirror world would be cool. Yeah. Just an M over a W. <laughs> nice. Yes. But the idea that you'd be able to like live out your fantasies in the real world is certainly a thing, right? Yeah. What if there's a host version of your boss that you tell off for making you fill out that TPS report cover? Like, you know, <laughs> it, it that seems very compelling, but I don't know if I'm ready to go there yet. I don't know if part of me wants to believe whether or not we're like watching stuff that's happening in Rehoboam or not. Um but it's there. And I think people should know about it. And if you notice weird things about it and want to tell us what your thoughts are, let me know. I will say it's like they've been very selective at showing when Rehoboam is detecting like an anomaly or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I haven't really gone back to kind of match up those sequences and see if they kind of tell something in a grander scheme of things. But um, yeah, that part's interesting. Um this is once again another moment where I think Charlotte is bad at taking her job because she doesn't, or, or inhabiting, host Charlotte is bad at inhabiting Charlotte's life because of the fact that she doesn't know that she's a mole, right? And I am taken aback by the fact that Serac doesn't comment on it more, which almost makes me wonder if he's expecting it or using her to get back at Dolores or what mm. the deal is with that. Because, you know, it, he, he has that line about, like, you've been playing your part a little bit too well. 
which is kind of like a jab at like, oh, hey, you haven't um, reached out to us recently. You know, we haven't been in contact. So it's like you've forgotten you're my spy. Yeah. But there's part of me that makes it like a kind of wonder if he notices enough to kind of be like, that's not Charlotte anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I think the the whole concept of a host, A, breaking out of the park and B, integrating themselves into somebody who was who's human and see it being somebody who's as seated as high as Charlotte Hale was, uh, I think is probably pretty mind blowing to everybody, which makes me at least buy that. That's probably why her like lackeys don't seem to notice that even the guy is like, Hey, here's a message. It seems like you uh, delivering your dying wish. Do you decide what to do with it? <laughs> it doesn't <laughs> seem to raise any question because they're kind of like, yeah, that would be crazy. Like that yeah. would be nuts. Right. Who, yeah. Who would believe that that would even be possible? The hosts are just, they're just amusement park attractions, right? That's true. But I'm like, you're making me wonder, like, is there a world where Rehoboam notices that something's wrong and therefore Serac should know about it? Maybe. Well, so that brings me to the question. Do you think Serac is real? Do you think he's a man? That's, I mean, that's another thing that people have posited. Is it, is it, is Serac Rehoboam in, in human-like form? I think so. I mean, as soon as he disappeared and I was like, oh, she needed those glasses just to see him because he's not real. I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. And there's a scene earlier. <laughs> because in we've, this seen, episode. we've seen in the, in the Delos boardroom that people can hologram themselves in there yes. and they don't need to wear special shit to see him. So that technology has to exist. Well, but now you you made me remember something that I didn't necessarily think about. Do you remember the scene of Dolores putting the contact in after their yes. spooning sesh? Yeah. Are people is everybody wearing contacts that have this technology in them? Maybe. You know, like Maeve wasn't wearing anything when she in- interacted with Serac. Uh, See, I think when she interacted with Serac, she was still in the simulation. She was in a simulation of some kind. Hmm. I don't even think her breakout was real at this point. <laughs> so are we are we at the end of our recap? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> that's so. the end of the recap. All right, I'm I, just gonna... I, I will, I, I, I think the idea that Serac is not real is intriguing, but part of me thinks he would not have disappeared at the end of this episode if they didn't want you to think that. <laughs> like I, I think, I think it's a red herring. I kind of hope it's a red herring. I want mm. it to be real. I think it would be very, it would make a lot of sense why there's no information available on him because he hasn't existed until Rehoboam decided it needed a, an avatar in the world. To, to affect its change, right? Yes. That's extremely compelling. I can't, I can't deny that. And I, and I, I like mean, it. I like it a me, lot. That makes me like the casting of Vincent Kassel more, like I said, because you don't cast that guy unless you need somebody who can fit all those weird particular attributes <laughs> yeah. he seems like an what a what an ai would assume is an amalgamation of like intriguing and interesting and compelling qualities you pick somebody mm-hmm. like vincent cassell who doesn't look like anybody else on earth <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and just go with him so i think that mave is inside of host hale's body and i think that dolores somehow got mave out of the park and that all of the Serac stuff we see with Maeve and all of the simulation, the war world and all that is after he figures out that Maeve is in there and he extracts the pearl 
and begins trying to figure out how to get to Dolores because he knows she's her agent. Mm. And I think that it explains the mothering of Nathan and the desire to step into that role in a really compelling way. It explains the predator thing and the reminding me of who I really am. I think the only thing that it doesn't explain for me is why Dolores would trust her so much unless she knows how deadly she is and that they both have a shared distaste for humans, basically. I don't read Maeve on any of Tessa Thompson's performance except for the predator scene. Well, and also the the instinct to throw herself at a man because she knows that that's what will. Yeah, but like the the innocence and the childlike quality of of Tessa's performance in the very first scene of like waking up in this body and Dolores being like, "Do you know who you are?" and yet like the the there's something about that performance that does not feel like Maeve to me. I think if Tessa Thompson wanted to be, wa- wanted wanted to act the same way that Tandy Newton does, I think we would see it more. And I don't think it's there. I and it, it's dumb for me to try and reason this out with the way that the performances are working, but I, I just yeah, I don't think you could base it on that because well, yeah, Maeve, what if the Maeve is not always given, the way that she is now. She was once a lot more innocent, I think. I mean, her her story was a was a pleasant farm dwelling single mom. True, very true. And I think that one thing for me that I really focused in on was the way when she says uh, in the opening scene where she says, "Why must I be her?" Referring yeah. to being Charlotte, though yeah. that language is not fitting of a lot of the other characters that people think it might be it's it's more cultured than that and it's more a little more uh who else has been woke enough right is what you're kind of well, saying well just who would use that that proper la- that language that proper other than like the madam though that's yeah. always the way Maeve has kind of always had that air of like sophistication even though she's not sophisticated yeah uh Anyway, well, that's my personal theory. The the only thing that I think pokes somewhat of a hole in what you're thinking is I feel as though the Serac at the end of this episode knows what he knows about it being in Dolores's head because he's run that simulation on Maeve. Maybe. Yeah. That that that's the only thing that makes me think that maybe the timey wiminess that you're that you're potentially playing at because mm-hmm. you had me thinking maybe like that Maeve episode, maybe episode 2 takes place at the end of episode eight right you know or who knows at this Mm -hmm. point anyway but um like i think i think him talking about like we have we know that dolores has this data is a direct that is that is him learning that from the mave simulation like he saw in last episode yeah that's true but other than that like i don't i don't dislike the theory once again i think i think all of it's interesting i think him being rehoboam i think Maeve theoretically potentially being in Charlotte's head because you're right if we know that Pearl is missing you know Mm -hmm. so very interesting very interesting oh and the other line to the uh referring to Charlotte Hale saying why must I be her she tried to stop us that's got to be somebody who was on some level in league with Dolores yeah whether whether they were working towards her direct goal or towards the larger goal of like the better lives and liberation of hosts in general. 
I don't know. It's I gotta watch it again. But I'm... that's the thing is that it feels like it's a really small pool of potential characters that these people could be, right? But the fact that we can't yeah. put a finger on literally anybody is extremely yeah. frustrating. Which which leads me to something that I've talked about before with the show, where it's like I don't want to feel cheated, right? I don't want them to deliberately make it. I don't want any deliberate head fakes. I want it all to be there. I want to be able to figure out from square one, right? Yeah. If I knew enough, if I f- was paying enough attention, but I feel like there's not enough here for us to. to I also know think yet. they might be dipping back into their bag of tricks too, because in season one they show us William and the Men in Black stories concurrently to make us sort of believe that they are happening at the same time when in fact they're happening decades apart. I think we might yeah. be kind of experiencing that too with Maeve thinking that this is supposed to be happening and informing this episode when rather it's the other way around. But yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Shit. Maybe it's even possible that Serac is a man, but inevitably gets killed and Rehoboam assumes his persona. That's what I was thinking. And, and it's kind of interesting if you think of that, because if we think about uh, Delos being Ford and Bernard's and Bernard ends up Ford and Arnold's and Arnold end up, ends up dead. And yet Ford creates a version of Arnold to continue his work, continue his work. But then also, is there something in insight where, you know, is, is Serac Liam's father, but the AI version of him after he's died or something like that? Like, Uh, who who knows? Hmm. I don't know. There's a lot of rabbit holes that we're tripping into right now. It's true. (laughs) We're falling in every single one. That's okay. Uh, there was one last thing that you said, the idea, there was an idea somewhere that I wanted to discuss and I'm trying to find it here. Uh, they mention Charlotte host Charlotte mentions at the end of the episode that the data has been downloaded from the satellite, which I feel puts a lot more into play than just who we thought was like, I feel like Teddy's not off limits anymore. Do you think it was a bluff? Do you think there's a chance she was just saying that to be like, yeah, dude, we've already got it. Like, we're good. It's cool. I'm doing my thing. Is it possible mm-hmm. to bluff in this Maybe. year? Maybe. Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. That's interesting. There's something weird about it. Right. Yeah. So I don't know. Is it, did Dolores, Dolores retrieve it in order to keep it safe? Did she retrieve it to pluck people out of it? Is she literally using it? to read Liam's book and other people's books more like, or to get more information about more people. Cause that's all in the forge, I think. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's interesting. All I do know is I'm really amped for next week's episode. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Once again, you can find more episodes of our podcast on Westworld.fm. We're also on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and Google Play Podcasts. We're also Westworld FM on Twitter, and you can email us at westworldfm at gmail.com to tell us what you think of our show and share your thoughts on HBO's Westworld so we can read them on our show. Send us corrections, observations, or anything regarding Westworld or our podcast. The Midwest Podcast Network has several other shows about video games, horror movies, and more. Check out all of our shows at midwestpodcastnetwork.com. Our theme music is the song Industrial Cinematic by Kevin McLeod and it is being used under an Attribution Creative Commons license. That's it for our episode this week. We're excited for the next episode of Westworld, and we'll have another episode of our podcast out after that. But until then, may you rest and have a deep and dreamless slumber.